This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, away we go. It's almost 1 o'clock in the morning here on Friday, the day this podcast gets released. And we're recording it. My name is Joel Godet. Thanks, as always, for clicking subscribe or download and joining us once again here on iTunes or on Stitcher, where you can find PXPCast. You can also find us on Twitter, at PXPCast, or I am on Twitter, at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Late night tonight, the official start of midweek action across college football. Ball State hosting Toledo tonight at home. Midweek football, I don't have another, it's October. I don't have another football broadcast on a Saturday for the rest of the season. Sometimes it gets nice, sometimes it gets a little hectic. Yeah, but it's part of the fun of being a broadcaster in the Mid-American Conference. Uh, not an easy one to call tonight. Ball State falling, uh, allowing 50 points or more for the third time in four games. The Cardinals beat 58-17, I believe, off the top of my head. Uh, it's been a challenge, and it's been interesting as a broadcaster to be in the spot that, that Rich Spizak and myself, my partner Rich and I, have been in uh, over the last month, where Ball State has really struggled a lot, is playing 26 freshmen, uh, by far the most in FBS college football this season, and, and freshmen at some really important roles, including at quarterback tonight, where Ball State was down to its fourth string quarterback. Starter was injured after week three, uh, the backup was injured last week, the third string was injured on the second series tonight, as I record this, and then uh, the fourth string, a, a redshirt freshman, uh, played the rest of the night and and uh, I, I guess from the news reports is likely to start next week as well. So it's been an interesting challenge in terms of, you know, it's easy to go out there and, and just be upset and frustrated and mope on the radio about the team getting beat uh, and, and some young guys giving up some deep plays on defense, uh, particularly in the past game against uh, a really productive and prolific passing def- or passing offense that Toledo has. Uh, that's the easy thing to do. The tough thing to do has been to tell some stories and to humanize uh, who these guys are and, and kind of understand the the quest that they are on. Uh, when you play so many freshmen, it's hard. And a lot of freshmen at critical spots when you're going up against better and more experienced teams and, and being able to to adequately convey the process and 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 getting people to understand the process and to want to go along with the process and to invest in who these kids are uh, so that they can kind of enjoy the ride as as frustrating as it is right now on kind of the ground floor and it's step one for a lot of these guys so that's been the interesting task over the last few weeks and it was again tonight and I think in some ways we did a good job with it uh, a lot of stuff I wanted to go back uh, and rehash and we'll see uh, how we do with it next week when the Cardinals go back on the road. But it's been an interesting uh, broadcaster's test from that standpoint over the last uh, four or five weeks or so. 
In the meantime, enough about me. You came here to listen to our guest today, and he is the radio voice of Westwood One. Well, not the. He's one of the radio voices for Westwood One coverage and uh, for ESPN coverage as well, high school basketball on ESPN, uh, among other things. Ted Emmerich is our guest. Dallas guy, if you are a Texas native listening to this podcast, you might very well know his voice from the Texas Longhorns radio network where he spent a lot of time. Uh, a North Texas graduate and kind of the Bill Mercer school of broadcasting. He'll touch on a little bit of, of who Bill is and, you know, the quote-unquote, you know, school that, that several broadcasters come from and who those guys are. Ted will get into kind of his upbringing in the Dallas media market and the Texas media market and uh, how he got in on the ground floor with Westwood One because it's a remarkable story. A lot, a lot of people that we've spoken to on this podcast that do work with Westwood One, Ed Cohen, um, John Sadak, are guys that more traditionally got involved with Westwood One. Uh, Ted's story is a, a little bit wackier, and it starts when he was a teenager and in high school, so he'll get into to all of that and much more here on the uh, the episode, and he'll also get into who, into who his father is, who is a um, well-known media and radio personality in Dallas and also the public address voice of Jerry World. So uh, some interesting um, kind of introductions to broadcasting for Ted at a very young age. Uh, He's a young guy, not even 30 years old. He's done a lot at this point, still very much an up-and-comer in this industry, but at the same point uh, has also worked for and currently does work for some pretty big outlets. So he has some pretty interesting stories to tell about where he is, how he's gotten there, uh, what he is, uh, and, and how he approaches this industry as well. Uh, one of the, the really fun conversations we have had. And I'll tell you on the back end how some of what he has said directly, you can apply to what you do currently, and uh, I've already applied in the last couple of weeks to what I do currently in broadcasting. That said, let's jump into it. Ted Emmerich of Westwood One and ESPN is our guest this week on PXPCast. Where do we start? Uh, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, once upon a time. Oh, man, I, it, it's, it's difficult for me because I, I always have to go back to childhood. And I don't want to take you through some long and winding tale, Joel. Nobody wants to, to hear that. We have all the time in the world. <laughs> well, well, you're in luck. Uh, I, I would be foolish if I didn't say that uh, it started with my dad. Um, he worked in the Dallas Fort Worth area for 20 plus years, um, for KRLD radio, one of the big news stations. He did sports there, uh, and he was inducted into the Texas radio hall of fame, uh, couple of years ago just a wonderful honor and i am so proud that he's my dad and just to get the opportunity as a kid just tagging along with him um that exposed me to this crazy world that we all are trying to make a living in um now i went down a different path uh definitely split off my passion was always play by play and uh, what a coincidence that here we are on your show now. Uh, but, um, you know, my dad did updates. Uh, he, he did a, just a, a little bit of TV here and there, the occasional uh, play-by-play. But still just being in that professional broadcast environment, um, it, it ignited something 
within me. And uh, I was always attracted to sports, the, the natural drama that we see play out in front of us when we're in the booth. And for me, it was all about play-by-play because you know, I, I also love words. I love the English language. I love being able to tell stories. And I guess we love to talk too, right? That's, that's another part of it. But putting all of that together – and being able to document something in real time and just the, the inherent challenge uh, that is there as we try to perform this job week after week, day after day, I loved it. And that's what I uh, set my heart on uh, from, an, from an early stage, um, you know, getting behind a mic in high school doing PA. No, it's not play by play, but just getting comfortable behind a mic doing PA for baseball and basketball and whatever else they would throw a a 16 year olds way. And then eventually, you know, going to college and and trying to ply my craft at North Texas, which has a long history of churning out broadcasters from the likes of uh, Mark Folliwell, the Mavericks television voice, former ESPN play-by-play man, Dave Barnett, uh, Craig Way, the radio voice of the Texas Longhorns, so on and so forth. George Dunham, Craig Miller. Um, it, it's it's a wonderful tradition that they have put together, and I wanted to be a part of that because they've got a TV station, they've got a radio station. You get a chance to do games, and you know here we are, a uh, few years out uh, past my graduation, and I. I could not be more fortunate. I couldn't be luckier that I get a chance to do games on the ESPN networks that I get a chance to do games for Westwood one. And yeah, there are bumps along the way and you're trying to climb that ladder rung by rung and it's difficult and you're screaming to the sky above wondering when is that break going to come about? Um, But I'm very thankful that, that I've gotten a few along the way. Um, I want to break some of that down, but first off, is it weird to go to a Cowboys game and hear your dad? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I it, 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 <laughs> it's it, I don't even hear it at the game so much. I hear it through the TV, Joel. That's 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 weird. the crazy thing about it. Yeah, I know <laughs> when when Joe and Troy are doing the Cowboys and Packers a few weeks back. And I just hear that it, it's it's a rumble that you hear first down Cowboys or uh, coming up for a big, perhaps a big defensive stop, third down. You just hear that bleeding through the TV. It's it. Yeah, it's kind of funny that and, and his friends will say, oh, I heard you on TV. Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, but yes, he, he is. He's invading everybody's space with, with that booming voice for sure. It, it's it's great. I'm I'm so glad that he's he's been able to do that for the last uh, several years as their PA voice. Why did the the play by play bug bite you in particular? If you're you're around him growing up and you're around what he does and what he saw, um, what diverted you away from that toward the the path that you wanted to take? I think the live element is a is a big part of it I, I don't think there's any any such thing as a perfect broadcast um you know certainly those at the very top of what we do have probably had you know that that grade of 99 out of 100 but i i, I loved reading uh, al michael's book saying there's there's no there's no perfect game out there 
you can get close, but then, and he's still doing it at his age and he's still chasing that. And I don't know, the, the challenge has always grabbed me, uh, whatever it might be, whether it be in a, a class or just in regular life. And now in this crazy bubble that we're in, um, calling games for a living. Yeah. What do you want to do for a living? Oh, I want to not just get into the game for free. I want to get to the game, get paid for this, by the way, and talk about what I see. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy on paper. My my wife told me, and I'm glad she didn't say this to me up front, but Kate says that when I first heard what you wanted to do for a living, my my thought was, oh, so you want to be an astronaut. <laughs> it's I mean, it's basically the same thing. It's that pie in the sky dream, right? It's so competitive. It 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 gr- it can grind away at your soul as you're you know, trying to catch that break. And <laughs> I mean, I but I love it. I love every moment of it. I've I've loved games, and I've loved storytellers. I've loved uh, the ability to find just the right word, being able to humanize the players, the, these, these guys that, you know, we're, we're in football season right now. These guys are wearing helmets. Some of them have visors, all the, the fans, all they care about is, Oh man, I love that number 21. I want to know more about 21 besides his name, besides his height and weight, beside his stats, his class, all of that. You know, I want to know that background. I want to know what inspires him. And I want to share that with somebody at home listening or watching. And I I want to be I, I, I love how how Doc Emmerich in hockey has put it being the conduit for what these terrific athletes do on the ice, the field, the court, wherever, and connecting them to the audience at home who has such a passion for this sport. Yeah, they've got their their T-shirt on and they're waving their towel or whatever it may be. They're into it, and you can let them know more about what's happening in front of you and humanizing them and telling their stories. I Just every part of it I, I absolutely love. Your wife thought you were nuts. Uh, what'd your dad yeah. think when you said, "Hey, I want to get into this whole field too"? He uh, he said, "Why don't you do something that actually pays something?" <laughs> that, no, seriously, he, you know, and and right out of college, Joel, I the the early opportunities for me were in radio, and he encouraged me not look at TV, look more into TV, um, but I I didn't. While I I checked into some of those one man band type positions, sure. you know, the reporter, you're, you're shooting high school football and it's nonstop and you're getting paid 20,000 a year or whatever it is. Um, I, I don't know. I, I was, I was fortunate that I was able to find work on the radio side and close to home and it still made sense financially. Um, and I, I always figured, and of course doing play by play of high school football on the side while I had my consistent job with the ESPN radio affiliate here in Dallas. And I always thought, well, don't you have to be good first at radio and you can graduate to TV? I I studied all the career paths of people that I admire. And I thought, well, okay, the the breaks aren't coming at TV. I'm going to focus on radio. I'm going to put everything I have into this. 
and the TV opportunities will come. They, they, they it's just I, I want to be able to learn how to call a good game on radio before you get into the nuance and the captions of television and complementing the picture in front of you. And that's that's what I did. And I, I'm I'm glad that the breaks came uh, on the television side. Um. For those that don't know uh, who he is or are unaware, you, you talked about North Texas. Um, tell people about who Bill Mercer is uh, and what influence he had on you. I, they say that I am one of the last members of the Mercer Mafia. That that The fact that he has his own name <laughs> on the group of broadcasters that he tutored, that he helped produce, that, that says everything. Uh, Bill Mercer is one of the great play-by-play men, and I would say not just in Texas, but of all time. And you could probably also add the tag underrated uh, because he's not a household name. Uh, Bill Mercer was the first television voice of the Texas Rangers uh, when they came here in 1972. Uh, He also worked with Harry Carey in the same booth uh, with the White Sox. We know about, obviously, Harry's time with the Cardinals and Cubs, but when he was with the White Sox for a brief time, Bill Mercer was his partner. Uh, Bill was also the radio voice of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, You know, he uh, worked the Ice Bowl, uh, the Cowboys and Packers. But the funny thing about Bill, the his claim to fame for most people might very well be his work in pro wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, he was the voice I of didn't know world that. class. Yeah, I'm telling was, you, he was the voice class, of world class, world class. That's it. The Von Erichs and the Freebirds, and uh, you know, in the '80s, the the Dallas promotion. I've got to go pull that up on at, the network now and see. Oh, that's crazy. I'm telling you, okay. Yeah. So okay, I'm a big fan too. Yeah, I've got the network subscription, <laughs> and uh, it it's it's funny to go back and and watch him now. On, on those shows, and he did all of that. And, of course, back in the 80s, he, he, the most important thing to him was, I'm going to treat this like a sporting event because then the fans can buy it as such. Yeah, of course, we know. Hey, it's entertainment. That's all it is. It's a TV show like anything else. It's Game of Thrones amped up to 11. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but it's fun. And, but he treated it like it was serious, like it was hand-to-hand combat it's one-on-one and you know this is a sporting event Uh, and he lent credibility to it as a result but all the while as he's making his way in this career of course he was the voice of of north texas uh, as well but uh, he started the radio and television broadcast program at north texas um you know starting that from the ground floor and like i said the names that have come through um are just off the charts you know people that have gone to a network level like dave barnett and uh craig way mark followell and so on and so forth there are so many names uh, and and i happen to be the the one to be in his final class uh, before he retired in 2007, and I was so glad that he waited one more year, so I could show up and amble into his classroom. But um, he's he is a teacher of the highest order. The the, the assignment was simple. Uh, in his sportscasting class, you had to call a game every week. That was it. That's all you had to do. Uh, you know, you're in the fall, a football game, but there was one rule. And when I was in his class. Uh, cassette tapes were still in existence. Uh-huh. So 
I bring the recorder out and you're at the top of the stands. You couldn't you, even if there was an empty booth available at the high school stadium, you had to be in the stands and he would know he's listening for crowd noise and crowd noise around you. And the thinking was, if you can battle through that distraction, I remember one game where I've got the, the cassette recorder and I've got my little binder with my boards in front of me and the Vuvuzela was just coming into prominence and somebody was blowing that right in my ear and I just tried to block that out and it was a sellout crowd full, you know, hey, what am I going to do? Turn, hey, stop this. I'm, I'm using my tape recorder. Hey, I'm calling this game in the tape recorder. <laughs> yeah, for you know, who? Please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Hey, no, for, the, for the Bill Mercer Broadcasting Network. <laughs> exactly. But no, if you, can, if you can fight through that, you can absolutely deal with all the comforts of a broadcast booth and, and everything at your disposal. Oh, they feed you before the oh, – oh, they have game notes and, and this and that. You, you deal with all of these distractions, and then you can move forward. So it was, it was great fun to be able to do that in a class environment and get graded for it. He just he, – he helped me in so many ways. And then your big, your big break came at 20, right? Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, I was going into my senior year uh, at North Texas and the University of Texas had an opening on their broadcast team. Uh, They were looking for a studio anchor. Um, Of course, they're an IMG school uh, and there was talk of them uh, just filling things in house um, in Winston-Salem. And I'm so glad they didn't. Um, Craig Way went, went to bat for me. And uh, they uh, I think the way the story goes, Craig has told me that uh, they gather everybody and say, "Okay, so, Craig, you you have someone in mind. And he says, yeah, I think he's, you know, 23 or something. And (laughs) I was 20 years old at the time and I was still in college. Um, And again, just to be in a network environment and for one of the biggest networks at the college level, I mean, the UT brand speaks for itself and for a guy that I admire so much in Craig. I mean, that was a thrill and I'm just trying to live up to it. I just want to prove him right. And and I don't want to let him down. And I was able to, to be in the studio for football and men's basketball for eight years. Um, it was great fun. How'd that first year go at 20? (laughs) Yeah. The, the first game was rough and, you know, being it, 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 it's so it taught me a lesson, though, Joel, you, you and we all deal with this, that one game, the tape that you just want to burn, you, you just want to move on. And that's all you can do. I you know, it, you just you can't let that one mistake, that one stumble lead to another because you're losing your concentration and you're seeing red and, you know, how can you mess up there? You know, you're better than that. And then, you know, that's stuff happens over the course of a game. Like I said, nobody's perfect, but you just want to minimize those mistakes and keep your concentration for as long as possible. And there are so many moving parts, you know, in a, in a scoreboard report and a highlight segment and a game um, when there are, 22 people on the field or 10 on the court and you, you know, okay, you misspeak, whatever, beg your pardon. You know, you move on. That's, that's all you can do. But yeah, it's, they, I'm just, I'm glad they continue to show faith in me and let me improve as the season went along. And I, I felt like I got pretty good at it uh, by the end of it. And then you started doing stuff at ESPN Dallas too, correct? 
That's right. Um, I, you know, I know ne- I didn't get a full time job until I was four years out of college. Um, I, I was part time, thankfully, with a lot of hours. It was more than just the 20 hours a week. Um, I, I was glad to get the work, even if there were no benefits attached. But, you know, you're you're waking up at 345 in the morning, uh, going in to for a five to 11 shift. I did the local sports centers during Mike and Mike. Uh, and then when we were running Colin Cowherd before his uh, move to Fox, um, you know, that's that's that was the steady work while I tried to chase this play by play dream on the side doing high school football on Friday nights and high school basketball and whatever other opportunity would come my way. Uh, it, it's just uh, that that's that's how you climb. That's how you try to move up. Had that stuff inform if it informed the play-by-play side of things with you too and getting that different experience in different mediums for lack of a better word yeah no i everything helps every rep no matter what it is even if i'm just doing a one minute sports cast that that helps yeah you know it's it's obviously totally different from play-by-play there's no script there's no plan um i i definitely by, by the end of the run it at ESPN radio, I was pretty much, I was done with it. I was ready to move on. I was glad I was getting more play by play work, but uh, at that stage, right out of college, you need reps, no matter how they come, no matter how many people are listening. And, you know, when you're doing McKinney ISD high school football on 97.5 KLAK, which is what I did for the first five years as the side gig for, you know, 150 a game and setting up the equipment and engineering and doing all that, all the stuff that we all have to do when we try to get into this. Um, that's, that's going to help no matter what the experience is. And, and so, yeah, it, 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 it's all worthwhile. There's great stories. I feel like with a lot of guys, um, with Howie Denneroff in terms of, um, sometimes how he discovers people and, you know, he's, I don't want to say notorious, uh, but famous for wherever he is turning on the radio and seeing what he can find. Um, and Kevin Kugler kind of case in point with that. Um, how did you wind up on Howie Denneroff's plate and, uh, and, and ingrain yourself at, uh, at Westwood one? It started when I was in high school. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the other part of, my story, as funny as that sounds, my story. <laughs> um, it's uh, it, it also starts not just with my dad, but also with spotting. That's how I got my start, really, in in professional booths. Interesting. Um, that now that that partially started with my dad. He would he would do high school playoff games on the Texas State Network uh, on radio. But I eventually, a friend of a friend who knew Howie uh, and knew that I was spotting, knew that he was looking for a spotter. Again, I'm a junior in high school, and it was for a Thursday night college football game, TCU and Louisville in Fort Worth. Chuck Cooperstein did the game. And Howie calls the house, leaves a voicemail. I call him back. 
and uh, he goes through the usual uh, checklist of, okay, you got you got your pass, you know where you're going, you know you're working with Chuck, all the usual things. Basically, you're ready to go. It's what it's what producers and people at the higher level do for crews the week of a game, checking in to make sure that this person exists and he's going to show up. <laughs> And so uh, after all of that, we're winding down the conversation and Howie says, oh, one last thing, Ted, I heard on your voicemail, the the message, it said, uh, and this is funny, right? Back in the, the day of voicemails, <laughs> not just on your cell phone, but the home phone, he says, um, it said, Roger, Chris and Teddy Emmerich, do, do you still live with your parents? And I say, uh, uh, yeah, Howie, I'm uh, I'm a junior in high school. I'm I'm 16 years old. <laughs> and Howie says, "Have you ever done this before?" <laughs> and I actually had. I'd been doing it for the last few years, going back to middle school even, um, for for my dad and some of his friends who did games. And I told him I had. I know exactly what I'm looking for. He says, "Okay, just." Be sure before you point. Just be <laughs> sure before you point. I mean, it's sage advice. I'm very important for any spotter. And uh, I I worked for for Chuck that night. It was a fun game and uh, got good reviews. And all of a sudden, I became one of their spotters for any broadcasts that were in the Dallas area. Um, anytime there was a, a Cowboys game on a Sunday afternoon or even Sunday night, I would spot for Dave Sims. I would spot for uh, Harry Callis, uh, the, the late, great Harry Callis, when he was a part of uh, – Westwood One's NFL roster. Uh, I even got to spot for Marv Albert a few times. Uh, he, he usually had a regular guy, as as he's had for many years. Excuse me, but when he, um, when that person wasn't available uh, one night, it was 2006. It happened. I'll never forget it because it was Tony Romo's first game. Bill Parcells pulled Drew Bledsoe at the half. Romo comes in. He throws three interceptions in the second half, and the Giants uh, beat them. But uh, I I remember Marv and Boomer Esiason being there, and, and Marv, before the game, I meet with Marv, and, and everything's good there, and Boomer comes into the booth, and Marv turns to him, and I'm going to do my horrible Marv Albert impersonation. I'm sure many people do this uh, on the podcast, Joel, but uh, Boomer, uh, meet our spotter here tonight. His name is Ted Emmerich. Um, he has received glowing reviews from one Howard Deneroff. That's not and, bad. That was not okay. Uh, yeah. uh, it's okay. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm still workshopping. Martucci's was good, so it, it's a it's a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> and Boomer's Boomer has one thing to say to me. He says, "Oh, hey, how are you? Don't f up tonight." <laughs> So that was that was fun. I was in college at that point. I was a sophomore uh, in college, but that I, I got to travel on the road a few times uh, and and spot for Marv. And and when he got the gig at CBS to do NFL games every week, uh, he called me, and, and I had to turn him down. Uh, he wanted me to be his regular spotter, and I had to turn him down because uh, I was getting so much work on the side. I was, you know. Uh, part of the the texas broadcast and of course he'd have to fly out on saturday for a sunday game i couldn't do that and i just i couldn't commit to that and i i told him how much i appreciated that offer but 
you know, I, I, my, my goal is not to be a spotter in an NFL booth. It's to call those NFL games in an NFL booth. So, um, I, I, but I always enjoyed that time spotting for the likes of Marv Albert. I spotted for Spiro Ditas, uh, when he first started with CBS, uh, when he just had a handful of games, of course, now he's doing games every week and, and doing wonderful work, uh, for CBS. But no, that was, that was a fun time just being in that environment. It was like being in the lab, you know, in a college class and watching the very best work, um, and the dynamics, uh, between, the announcers and the truck and uh, all the communication that goes on. We know that TV, it's a totally different animal from radio. And uh, it's like an orchestra, you know, while, you know, it's a, almost a solo performance on radio. Uh, so it's, it, it was just fun to be exposed to that and, and learn more and more each time out. I was going to say, what did you learn from being able to watch? And, and I guess in particular too, on the radio side, because you can listen at home to a radio broadcaster and sure. become better. Um, but I still enjoy going into a radio booth and sitting there and watching somebody do a game on radio. I think it's really informative. What did you learn and, and how, how do you think you got better um, just from being around those guys and in those positions? Even, even when I wasn't working, uh, there was one time, the first ever Monday night game at AT&T Stadium. The Cowboys played the Panthers in 2009. Um, Kevin Harlan of course, the voice of Monday Night Football at this point. For some reason, Westwood One still hired me for that game. But Kevin Harlan, as as many people know in our line of work, he does not use a spotter. And just that to itself is incredible how he can do that and how he can still identify everybody on defense. We can all pretty much handle what's happening offensively. We can follow the ball. But how he is able to point out that a defense is in the nickel and it's a three-man front and provides all the level of description that he does is mind-blowing. But they still hired me for this game. And they said, you know what? We'll still pay you. Just come out and watch. I said, okay. And I get to watch the master at work. And just the how he deals uh, with Howie, the communication back and forth with announcer and producer announcer and announcer with analyst you know kevin working with boomer and just seeing that but you know obviously during the break and how they're going to set things up in the future um where they might want to take this broadcast if it gets out of hand and just also seeing kevin's watching kevin's head to be honest the lack of a better term watching where he's looking the the booth uh, at AT&T is terrible uh, for not just national radio, but for home and visiting. It's in the corner of the stadium, and this is a trend yep. uh, that that we're seeing. You know it very well. Anywhere you show up, you're 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 praising on high if you have a booth at the 50-yard line these days. That's just that's how it is. But seeing Kevin go from the field, and he looks up at the monitor, and that's okay. Because it's the better view. And, you know, for so long, you well, you have to watch the field no matter what. Don't call a game off a of TV. You know, that was one of Bill Mercer's rules. You call the game however you can. You know, that's that that's the other point. And, you know, just just to be able to watch the virtuoso uh, Kevin Harlan was was wonderful. And that that happened every time out getting to spot for. I remember spotting for Kevin Kugler on Texas OU 10 years ago. 2007, uh, DeMarco Murray had a big game for Oklahoma. 
um, you know, Kevin was was just getting into every week work uh, with Westwood One at the at the college level, and you could see right then. I mean, this guy is great. It was him and Terry Bowden at the time. I just, I, I loved being able to, and I just wanted to do them a good job. That's, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that I was their extra set of eyes. And um, whether it be word choice, whether it be cadence, and yeah, you're right. A lot of it you can hear on the radio yourself, but also getting a look at their boards uh, seeing how they put things together, what's important to them, what pieces of information, what are they highlighting? Um, that, that, that's stuff that you can tuck away uh, and stuff that you only glean if you're there and, and working and, and uh, watching it firsthand. I know you did some reporting for Westwood as well. Uh, when did you make that jump from being their, their spotter uh, extraordinaire to, uh, to having some opportunities <laughs> on air? I always sent Howie a tape every year uh, going back to college. And like you say, Howie is always listening. It, it might take him a few months because the man doesn't sleep. And I've seen that in action. I, I don't know how he does it. I mean, he, you know, he will, he will get back. He, if, if he's up, there will be texts at three in the morning. He will send you emails at two in the morning, whatever it may be. Uh, and that's why I admire him so much, but he would always get back to me. He would always offer constructive criticism. And that's what I always appreciated feedback. That, that's what we're looking for. Not, not just trying to make connections while that's important too, the networking element, but we want to get better. And that's, that was number one for me. I wasn't dreaming of getting on with Westwood one yet. And yet in 2012, leading into the London Olympics, Howie and Mike Eby, uh, his right-hand man, along with Larry Costigan, they get in touch with me and tell me that, hey, there's, a, there's an opening. Uh, would you like it? It's a reporter slash producer position. You know, you'll cover a few events. You'll do a few interviews. You will report here and there for our short form updates that go to all the affiliates. But, you know, primarily you'll be a producer and you'll be cutting sound. And I, I don't care. I don't care what it paid. But just to get Westwood One on air experience, I jumped at it. And it turned out that after the first couple of days, I wasn't editing sound anymore. And I was just covering events. And so I must have done something right. And I'm glad I did because that was so much fun being able to ride the tube from event to event, venue to venue, uh, being at Wimbledon one day and talking with Serena and Venus after a, a doubles victory and then going to archery and learning more about Brady Ellison, who won a medal uh, in London. There, all these stories, you know, filling in on basketball and interviewing Kobe Bryant and Kevin Love after a Team USA victory. Just great experience all the way around. Uh, and I kept sending Howie tapes, and eventually I got my first game in 2015. Clemson blew out Miami. It was the worst loss in the history of the U. Al Golden was fired the day after. Um, so obviously I brought good luck to South Florida, but, uh, I, I'm glad that, you know, it's, it's led to, uh, pretty consistent work and, and doing football and doing basketball and the Olympics and doing track and field and in Rio, that was a great thrill. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. 
What's the pressure of that? Uh, you know, we had Pat Keenis on a while back, and we talked about the pressure of doing swimming at the Olympics and having to nail the highlight moment. Um, yeah. And when you're on one of those feature sports, like a track and field, um, I, I mean, what are those conversations like as far as like, listen, when this person wins, it's got to be good um, because it's <laughs> yeah. got to be playable for the next four years. <laughs> You can't stumble with Usain Bolt in his last Olympics. Correct. Yeah, that, that would not sound good. I mean, that's that's it. That's it, it's boy. You're boiling down to 10 seconds in the 100 meters, you know, to the the final 50 meters. And Michael Phelps, you know, is this his last medal? Is it last Olympic medal? Uh, and then eventually you just say, you know what, you're going to have fun with this. There's one person who has this opportunity um, for this network, for this country, and you have the chance to nail it. And, oh, by the way, it's a sport that you have never done before. You know, I I would have loved to have told them an Al Michaels-style white lie of, oh, yeah, I've done lots of hockey games (laughs) leading up to Lake Placid for him. Uh, Yeah, oh, yeah, I've done track and field like here in Dallas all the time. Uh, you know, you can count on me. No, of course not. And so you're hunkered down all summer uh, watching YouTube videos and turning the sound down and trying to call it and learning the mechanics. Uh, there, there, there wasn't much of a template to go off of, uh, even from, from 2012. I will say uh, Kevin Kugler did fill in uh, on track and field. Uh, one night and he did a, a spectacular job because Kevin can call, you know, tiddlywinks and it would sound amazing. Um, and so just to get the, get a rudimentary form of mechanics down of leading into the blocks and, and so, and then I just tried to create my own palette with strong action verbs and the timing of things and when to work in my analyst, Carol Lewis, who was just a total joy to work with. Um, she was a star and, you know, she had done this obviously for NBC for many years and getting a chance to do it on radio uh, with her, just wonderful. Um, and, and then you just try to nail it and, um, you can't script it any better with uh, Bolt going out the way he did. And of course there were many, many American stories uh, as well. Um, And, you know, it was every morning, it was every night and you're not sleeping. And that's, what's fun about it because you're just going right back to Olympic stadium and seeing what kind of history will transpire today. Um, Had a blast. When it comes to, the actual, you, know, you use the word action, you know, you said the, the strongest action verbs you could think of. Um, and, and I just remembered back at the very beginning where you talked about how much you love language and, and, and the artistry of this profession along those lines. Um, what kind of, I don't know if this is the right way to phrase it, what kind of preparation uh, have you done over your career in terms of that? I know a lot of people say like they'll sit down and read the dictionary um, or, or they'll, they'll, they'll write out different ways to describe things. Um, what was kind of your study of language for this and coming up with the best, but at the same time, most digestible palette of words um, that you can use? 
Right, because you don't want to go too far above somebody's head. I mean, technically in the thesaurus, this word might be a synonym for this, but do we actually use it in everyday language? That's a great point. Yeah, then you, you end up with the uh, the Joey letter on Friends yeah. trying to get the adoption. <laughs> you know, I never found Friends that funny when it was on, <laughs> but I love it now on Netflix. I think it's that, great. That, it's great. No, you're right. I You have to... You have to strike that balance. I mean, it, it starts with me growing up, and listen, this is a common tale, right? You know, going to sleep with the little transistor radio, the mm. earbuds in, in your ear, and listening to someone that you enjoy. Um, you know, at, at the local level here, a, a, a guy like Eric Nadell inducted into the into Cooperstown uh, recently. Um, his ability to describe and paint that picture. Um, you know, you can't say enough about it. Brad Cham and his ability to capture the moment um, with the Cowboys at a national level. There's so many that I admire. Ian Eagle is one of my favorites, um, and I know he's one of many favorites, but just his use of action verbs. I, I mentioned Doc Emmerich as well, the glossary of terms. Uh, it, it seems like it never ends. Uh, I loved that that what was it dead spin or somebody put out actually charted <laughs> the different words he used for one NHL game, uh, you know, from waffle boarded to shuffled and so on. It's, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, and you, you start to, as you listen and you take those words in, you think, well, could this work in this sport? And that's what I tried to do with, I mean, not just track and field, uh, you know, a, a simple running, if I'm saying running or sprinting the whole time, people are going to get really tired of that. They're going to be bored quick because what are we doing? That's all we're doing. We're running around in a circle, an oblong circle. That's all we're doing. He runs to the finish line. No, that's not going to work. You know, give me give me something more. He breezes. You know, Usain Bolt. You know, he's he's a he's great at breezing. Let me tell you, especially in the final <laughs> a few meters when he ha when he's won the race. You know, halfway through, he's great at breezing. Um, you know, stuff like that. It just just to change it up. And and I've always challenged myself. And again, not to the point of making the listener cringe. Oh, that that just sounds weird. That word that word doesn't work. But still varying it up. And I, I don't want to lean on that crutch word too much. None of us do uh, in this line of work, but I, I always, that's why we listen back, right? That's why we, why we're our own worst critics. And, oh man, I said this too much. I said fire too much. This quarterback, he fired it over the middle. I said fire too much. Okay. What, what else works? He guns it. He rifles it. He wires it. He drills it. You know, it just, and, and, trying to ingrain those in my head and remember for next time. Um, that's, that, that's what it's about. What do you, uh, what do you listen back for beyond word choice? I mean, what, what catches your eye? What's most important when you sit down with a tape of yours? I'm certainly listening for mechanics. First of all, did I give the score enough and trying to adhere to the old, Bill Mercer rule. It's not just Bill's rule, but that's where I heard it. Every first down, every change of possession. Now, we know in today's game, and especially in college football, sometimes that is just impossible. When teams get in the hurry up, you, you fit it in when you can. But when they're at warp speed, you, you just you have to call the play. 
that's number one, of course. But gown and distance, yard line, setting the formation as best as you can, of course, with, with the up-tempo, giving the score, and word choice, cadence. Um, I, I'm listening for the other thing that Bill um, was big on was the edge of emotion, um, especially you know a drive that maybe lasted 15 plays and trying to reach that crescendo by the time that they're in scoring position when they're in the red zone and being able to communicate the right amount of drama. And not everything is the Super Bowl. Don't uh, mistake that. Uh, not getting excited for every single first down and every single 10 yard play, whatever it may be, but just trying to match the energy of the moment. You know, if it's a big third down stop early in the game, you know, for a team that's coming off a three game losing streak and they were booed at home the week before. Okay. You know, match that that's big. Um, but you know, if it's two, one in five teams or whatever it may be, um, uh, just, just trying to match the tenor of the game. And, you know, lately I I'm also listening for a natural sound. I, something that, that I'm trying to work on, uh, is be more conversational. I think we're, we're all trying to do that. Um, and as a guy who never really did baseball and has focused on football and basketball and, and these Olympic sports and other opportunities, baseball obviously challenges you the most to be conversational, to, hey, just pull up a chair and talk into a buddy of yours as you're calling the game. Football and basketball have a lot more energy, I would think, ingrained in them just because of the pace of play. Um, and so I, I don't want to sound like Mr. Announcer voice all the time and blah, blah, you know, you know, you, you want to be you. And I know that's probably the most hackneyed thing that anybody has said on this podcast, but it, it's, it's hard to find that. It's hard to find who, who am I? Who are you? That's, that's what I always laughed at when oh, you got to be yourself. Who am I? <laughs> and, and it takes time to figure that out. It takes multiple games. It takes seasons to figure that out. And, and eventually you're able to strike that chord and you know, you're not in the mode of, well, I'm an announcer doing this game. No, you're not, you're not, uh, Oh, what's the? Oh, I'm blanking here. The Hank Azaria character on I on IFC. The Have you seen that show? This I haven't. Long. Uh, I, I'm terrible. I really am. Longmire. Brock Brockmire. Brockmire. That's it. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's it's hilarious. But it's it's all the cliches of big time baseball announcer voice. <laughs> and let me tell you something. You know, it's just. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's but and to be honest, you, you can still hear that in in on some broadcasts. Sure. And you know what? For some audiences, that you know what? I love him. Some audiences love that. They eat it up. That's great. Um, you know, it, a a natural sound is the other thing I'm trying to listen for. You bounce back and forth, obviously, between television and radio as well. Um, what do you find most challenging about that and being able to? shift gears in your own head as far as uh, which medium you're on and kind of remembering which one you're on and being able to bounce back and forth effectively. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm still trying to find 
that balance. I'm still trying to get better at that, to be honest with you. I, again, I go back to Ian Eagle and I marvel at his ability to do it every single week, doing Thursday night football um, on Westwood One, and of course, uh, doing the NFL on TV on CBS every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's, <laughs> that's remarkable. But for me, uh, doing college and high school basketball on ESPN, that's, you know, that, that I've, I'm going into my third season now and I feel like I'm just starting to get it. I I felt much more comfortable in my second year compared to my first. I mean, I'm just trying to find myself (laughs) that first year. I think anybody would tell you that um, when they get a a break like that a a massive jump uh, in their career but now I feel like I'm starting to understand it and how I can set the ball on the tee for the analyst and how I can talk to pictures and how I can speak with the producer and, and and have that voice and hey we can go here hey remember this you know we got this story we got this graphic and all of that and now all of a sudden um, you're not just a spectator who happens to to talk. You're on the sideline, if you will. Obviously, you're still playing a critical role. But now you can have that producer's mindset um, while obviously following where the producer and the director are going, but have a voice in the proceedings uh, and and being able to help direct the flow of conversation. I, I feel like I've gotten much better at that. And we, we know the basic dynamic between radio and, and TV, providing every level of description uh, on radio and painting that whole picture, theater of the mind and, and so on. And with, with TV, I feel like I'm now able to best complement the pictures that are in front of the viewer at home. Where'd the slinky come into play? So this was <laughs> during <laughs> and by the way, I, I absolutely love doing the high school basketball package on the ESPN networks, mainly of course on ESPNU. Um I I know what I have to live up to there with the likes of Mike Cousins and Adam Amin and Justin Kutcher and, and everybody, uh, Joe Davis, uh, who has uh, preceded me there. You know, I just I want to live up to that. Um, and I, I know what it's done for their careers, and I hope to be good enough uh, to be next in line to move forward. But you get to have a lot of fun. You know, why are people tuning in? They want to see who's next. They want to see who the next NBA star could very well be. Um, and it, it's not all about the coaches. Uh, it's not all about, I'll be honest, the teams even. Um, like you see in the college game, it's about these individuals and you, you have a freedom to relax a little bit. And I love our crew, Lori Mancini, our producer, Neil Gallo, our director, uh, Russ Winham, uh, on graphics among many other things, but Lori just has these, uh, these crazy ideas. And I love every one of them. Um, one of the schools that we did last year during uh, our big event in mid-January, Hoopal, uh, at the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, one of the schools involved uh, had a famous alum who invented the slinky. 
And so we thought as we're going to show that graphic of, you know, famous alumni from the West Town School, well, yeah, somebody who designed the Slinky. And so here we are at the table, Paul Biancardi and I were playing with the Slinky, and Jeff Goodman uh, was our reporter for this broadcast. And we go to him, and he's trying to set up the old Slinky bit of going down the stairs. He's off to the side of the stands, and he's trying to get it get it down, and it's just – it's not cooperating. <laughs> the Slinky is not cooperating and I say that's a Sports Center, not top ten nominee. I mean, the Slinky just would not go down for Jeff. But you know, you just you have a chance to have fun. We, I, we caught fish in Seattle for a game. We went out, we went to the to the market, and we were we caught the fish, just like you know those the, those great workers that you see uh, uh, all the time in Seattle that they do. So you know, it just you really get to let your hair down with those games and you're just finding trying to find creative ways to present the town that you're in the teams the individuals and so we just we just say hey forget it let's have some fun and that's what we do that's like kevin brown a couple of weeks ago uh we were talking about high high school football and he he mentioned absolutely the they they had him run a 40-yard dash against a kid who ran like a 4-3 um, I saw it. Yeah, that's that a great idea. It's a great. I mean, that's that's the thing. What that's the challenge to us at ESPN on a yearly basis. Trust me, they tell us this. Find a way to stand out. Be creative in your storytelling. You know, not just showing the graphic that oh, this guy can run a four three. Well, let's demonstrate that. And oh, better yet, let's put Kevin out there. That'd be fun. Yeah. Why not? You know, that's, you know, we, you know, when you have a kid in, in the in the basketball side of things, the wingspan is, you know, nine feet or whatever it is, we'll demonstrate that. And that's what we did at the Jordan brand classic. Quint Kessenick was uh, you know, on the sidelines. Okay, let's have Quint's wingspan and let's have, you know, this top prospects wingspan side to side. That that's how you show a viewer at home that demonstrate it for me. It, it's it's fun. Who thinks of that stuff, uh, and and how do you find yourself thinking differently now? Maybe looking for stuff like that. Oh, it, that's and that was the challenge at first. Like when it, when you're working games for ESPN, of course the producer is always going to check in, and and usually you're if it's not the high school package for me, it's going to be a different producer every time out working college games. Sure, I mean, there's not while my my partner might remain the same on college. Last year was Malcolm Huckabee on the American conference, we're usually going to have a different producer every time out. And they're going to check in and say, Hey, any ideas for the game? You know, that first year I I'm thinking, well, what is, what does he expect? I mean, you know, doesn't the, doesn't the producer and the director, don't they come up with stuff I can execute? Hey, you know, put me in coach. I can, I can call, I can run the play as it is called. But now, as I've gotten more comfortable, as I've had more reps, as I've been around this, I, I'll be honest, when I, when I got my break with ESPN, I, I, I still feel like a TV novice, I'll be honest. But at the time, I was absolutely a TV novice. I had done just a handful of games, and I'd sent them a tape, you know, just thinking, well, what can it hurt? And they liked what they saw, and they hired me. Sometimes that's how it happens. And I, I've been racing ever since to improve and, again, to try to prove them right, uh, to make sure that I don't just flop and, you know, some flash in the pan. Um, and I feel like I have. I feel like I've gotten to the point now, okay, I can contribute. Let, let's think of different ways. Okay, 
in the American Conference. Okay, a UCF game is coming up, Central Florida, Taco Fall. What what can we do? Well, let let's show a handshake. Let's let's show him absolutely swallowing my hand or somebody else's hand to demonstrate again, you know, same thing as the wingspan or 40 yard dash or something else, but it's another creative way. Let's show this picture of him shaking somebody's hand. That's a great full screen, you know, and it just, it's another way to tell that story instead of just saying it, which of course we know is all you can do on radio. How do we show it and how do we cut through to reach that viewer to get them to care even more about this game? Maybe they just stumbled onto the game, you know, flipping through. Oh, what's this? Oh, taco. Oh man, is he tall? (laughs) Seven feet, six inch. Oh, tell me more about him. And then, uh, you know, a timeout or whatever, a foul called. Now, let's show you more about Taco Fawn. Here's, yeah, here's how big his hand is. <laughs> you know, just, just little stuff like that. And so it, it gets the creative juices flowing. All right, that's Ted Emmerich here on Play by Play Cast. And as promised, uh, how you can apply what Ted just said to your broadcast and how I applied it to uh, my broadcast already. We talked about the Slinky, and I mean, I asked that question kind of in jest. Uh, His Twitter bio says, like, yes, in my picture, that is me playing with a Slinky. So I was just kind of curious. I was like, hey, man, where's the Slinky come into play? But the explanation of, you know, Jeff Goodman trying to get the Slinky to go down the stairs and using that as an explanation and and a different way to tell a story of what high school they were broadcasting a game at, I thought was interesting. And it got me thinking. And... Kevin Brown running the 40-yard dash on camera that we talked about on this episode and a couple of weeks ago with KB uh, got me thinking. And I think when we all do television broadcasts, the more creative we can be in storytelling like that, the better. So in my particular instance, the last women's volleyball game I did for Ball State last week, you know, Ball State on the volleyball court is a very big physical team at the net. Uh, a lot of tall girls, powerful ladies uh, that can really get up there and hit the volleyball and hit it hard. And I had been having a conversation with one of them. Her name is Ellie Dunn a couple of weeks ago about how hard she hits a volleyball and what it's like to try to dig a ball that she attacks. Uh, and she didn't know how hard she hit it, uh, but she's had her friends tell her you know, what it feels like to, to try to dig a ball that she makes contact with. So on our last uh, volleyball broadcast last week, we actually went to practice and clocked both Ellie and another uh, young lady by the name of Kaya Holder, who hits it pretty hard. Uh, we clocked him. We took a radar gun to uh, some balls that they were attacking and uh, showed the radar gun on camera and then came back live. And our sideline reporter was in the stands with a radar gun as well. And he had been clocking speeds throughout the night. So we kind of had practice speeds of, you know, you know, what it's like when they hit the ball in practice and, you know, when they're tired and they don't have adrenaline pumping for the game. We got that speed, but then we also got in-game speeds, which were faster. And it was just a different and unique way to say Ellie Dunn and Kyle Holder hit the ball hard and ball state is physical. We broke out the radar gun, we had a prop, and we just had a different way to talk about something. And Ted Emmerich and the Slinky got me thinking about things like that. So, I haven't really thought about how to apply that to radio, but certainly when it comes to television, if you're a television broadcaster, ways to think outside the box. It's it's kind of neat. Also for that broadcast, uh, it was Ball State versus Bowling Green. 
Bowling Green's head coach had just become a U.S. citizen. So we took a couple of the, the practice questions from the U.S. citizenship test. And we threw them up on the screen and saw how we all did. Uh, thought that was an interesting way to tell a story. Uh, Bowling Green had a pair of, Id- not identical twins, but paternal twins on their team. And they still looked fairly similar to each other. So we put them side by side with no names. Uh, and we didn't actually get to it on the air. But it was one of those things that, you know, if, if they had become a factor in the matchup, or the match had gotten totally out of hand and we had time for it, uh, thought it would have been fun to try to figure out which twin was which. Uh, So different ways to tell stories and to highlight who people are uh, comes from just a slinky in a picture that Ted was playing with on Twitter. Uh, It got me thinking, and uh, it's going to keep me thinking, certainly throughout the course of of basketball seasons going forward as well. So hopefully it helps get you guys all thinking uh, to be as creative as we can be in telling stories on television. Um, it was one of the last things I asked Ted about, but it was uh, a lot of those stuff he said stuck with me, but it was the one absolute thing that, that stuck with me in the immediate and that I, I really jumped on and I'm excited to keep jumping on here going forward. All right, that does it though for us here on this episode. We are out of time and we do have to say goodbye, but uh, we hope you've enjoyed this. If you did enjoy it, please do leave a rating or a review and throw some stars our way. Uh, It just lets me know that people are out there listening to the podcast uh, and are enjoying the podcast, and then it helps in the ratings on iTunes as well. So if you've enjoyed the pod so far and you're still listening, uh, please do take the time to throw a rating and or a review, some stars our way. And we will see you back here next week for another episode of PXPCast. Until then, we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.